Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the gathering of Redemption Hill Church. My name is John Chastine, and I serve as one of the pastors here. We're glad you're here to worship with us. For those of you online, welcome to our gathering. Hey, let me encourage you to do this. Um, If you're new with us, uh, pull out your device, go to the App Store, and I want you to search for Redemption Hill Church Medford. Um, go ahead and download our app, whether you're online or in person. You'll find when you download that on that homepage, there'll be a connect option. Hit connect and just let us know who you are. We love to celebrate uh, you worshiping with us today. Uh, For those of you in person, uh, just reminding you, hey, would you help us to keep uh, the protocols that we've got going uh, to keep everyone safe? So just reminding, um, keeping your mask on, social distancing, um, and, um, and then washing your hands and using our hand sanitizers um, so that we can keep this a safe environment for everyone. Well, hey, I want to give you three words as you think about and prepare to worship, and this is for everyone. The first one is uh, to encourage you to focus, um, to focus here with us. Maybe for some of you, it's right now pulling out your phone and hitting do not disturb for the next hour. Uh, so that you can really lock in and hear what God wants to do in your life today. Maybe it's home and you're, you're trying to multitask right now and it's making the decision, I'm going to close some browsers and really just lock in here with the surface. Um, the second is engage. Uh, whether you're in person or online, maybe online is throwing a, a comment or a like or in person, let's worship with all of our heart. Let's sing out to the Lord when we sing these songs. And then let's be ready to respond as the Spirit works in our lives, eager and ready to follow Jesus. Well, hey, I want to give you one encouragement and pray as we kick off today. Last week, Tanner challenged us in our study through the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And our Bible reading plan this week, through the Gospel of Luke, we heard that word kingdom come up a few times, but there was one verse in particular that just, man, it was a light bulb for me, and it was Luke 12, 32, which, which Jesus says, fear not, O little flock, for it is the Father's Good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray into that this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a shepherd, you are a father, you are a king, and it is your pleasure to give us the kingdom. God, there are a ton of worries that we all bring to the table right now. But God, we want to hear these words, fear not. We want to bring those worries to you this morning, and God, we just invite your presence to crush the fear in our life, that we would see you as a good God who wants to pour out his blessing upon us. So God, we're ready, we're eager, we want to respond, we want to worship you today. God, would you move in power, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Hey, stand with me and join us as we sing and worship our great God.
you can grab a seat. This morning, I want us to think about, as a church, how we can seek justice, particularly as it relates to the unborn. And so uh, this morning, I want us, we've got a section here to think about the sanctity of human life. All of life is precious to God from conception to death. And so I've got a video that I want us to reflect on, and then I'm going to come back and share about a partner, and then we're going to pray together. Check this out. I want you to hear a few words here. There is help and there is hope. One of the partners that, one of the ministries that we partner with is the Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices. It's located in downtown Boston. And and this is a center that offers options counseling. Um, It also offers after abortion counseling, because there are many that carry the weight, the guilt, and the grief of a decision that was made. And and that that brings all kind of of heartache upon their life. This is a center that everything is free and it's confidential. And so uh, 
at times in the past, we've done a, a baby bottle campaign where we've passed out baby bottles and sent them home, and, and you've brought them back with, with change that's been filled with. But because of COVID, I just want to encourage you this. We support them through our financial ministry plan as a church, but you can choose to give. I think there's a website on, uh, on the screen here where you can go and give to support this ministry. But, but not just give. There may be somebody in your life that you know that, that just needs somebody to talk to. And I want to encourage you, maybe you're listening right now, don't make this decision in isolation. Do this in community. Grab your community group leader. Come talk to one of the pastors or reach out to this resource that can help you as you are facing very hard decisions in life. I want to call us now to pray. Because even as we talk about this, this is heavy and this is weighty, and maybe you're here today, and there's brokenness in your past, and I want you to hear the words, there is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus would say, come to me. Maybe you've made a decision that would not have been honoring to God. Jesus is saying, come to me. There is hope. There is forgiveness. There is redemption. There is restoration. I want to plead with you today to come to Jesus. There is hope. Let me pray. Father, You are the author of life. And God, we want to speak up for the unborn who do not have a voice. And so God, we pray, we want your mind. We want to think the way you think about life and all of life and how to care for all of life. God, I pray right now for for men and women who may be wrestling with a really hard decision and situation that they would see that there is hope Not that it would be an easy path, but that there is hope. There's a community. There are people that want to walk alongside and help. There's a a resource center, Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices. God, we pray your favor, your spirit would work weekly as there are counseling situations that are happening and appointments. God, that you would give them wisdom. And God, that you would help them cast a, a message of hope to men and women. God, we ask for your grace in this. God, would you even help us to be generous as we look to resource this ministry? Maybe you want to lead us today to give. God, we ask that, that you would do that in us. You would, you would form generosity in us. And God, we pray that God, children's lives would be saved and that, that life would be honored and seen as precious in your eyes. God, we ask and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Pastor John. Uh, You can open up your Bibles to the book of Mark. Turn on your app to the book of Mark. We'll be in chapter 1, starting in verse 21 today. And I want to thank John for leading that uh, highlight on the sanctity of human life. We're thankful for the help and hope that we can find, number one, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also in great resources and organizations like the BCPC. So uh, super thankful for uh, that highlight. And, and we're here for you, as uh, Pastor John said. No matter what you uh, are going through, no matter what your story looks like, we're here for you uh, as a church. And I uh, want to serve you however the Lord leads. Well, uh, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. And I want to invite you, I want to call you, live with your eyes wide open. Eyes wide open. Last week, we considered what it looks like to drop the nets 
Do you remember? I hope you've been considering in, in, in a deeper way what it looks like to answer the, the call of Christ when he says, follow me, which is us stepping into his steps, receiving his life, him multiplying his life into us, and not just so that we can receive, but so that we can give to others and pour out because he says, not only follow me, but follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So we receive the multiplying work of Christ in our lives and then we pour out so that his work can be multiplied in other people. Drop the nets. And let me just say, I hope that, that you've been considering that through the week because if you, if you like receive a message, like even this is just a great example. Here's a perfect opportunity, okay? If you just hear a message and you tuck it away immediately, my prediction for you is minimal impact. Minimal impact. When we receive God, these are God's very words. When we receive God's words, they, they are uh, worthy of us to consider them deeply, to think about them further. And that's one of the reasons why community groups are so important at Redemption Hill. Uh, we just launched those again. And I, I want to actually not only invite you in, if you haven't yet jumped into a group, they're all virtual right now uh, for obvious reasons. We'll get back to in person as soon as we possibly can. Uh, but I am proud, super proud of you uh, as a church family. Uh, let me just brag a little bit. We have had great involvement in our community groups. I mean, our, our numbers of involvement from last spring to the fall, now into the winter, have remained consistent, which helps me, you know, uh, when I hang out with friends and other pastors, the common questions are, number one, thankfully, how are you? But then number two, like, how's Redemption Hill? How's the church? And admittedly, it's a more difficult question to answer this crazy time of separation, and yet I can point to the stability and consistency of involvement in small groups as well as the continued giving generosity of our church family. So I just want to thank you as one of the pastors say, Redemption Hill, great job. Keep it up. You can, you can celebrate, by the way, today just how uh, amazing God's work is among us. In fact, just as a celebrate, uh, we, we outperformed our budget last in a, in a season, uh, obviously, of great uh, challenge. And uh, so we're super thankful for how God continues to work and to provide. And so we're called to continue to drop the nets as, as we follow Jesus. And one of the ways that Mark is going to show us that we can do that this week is by living with our eyes wide open. You say, well, Tanner, what are you, what are you talking about? Sometimes we use the, the phrase eyes wide open as an idiom to say, you know what you're getting into. You know the challenges and the obstacles that lie before you. And that's not exactly how I'm using the phrase. What I want to call us, where's, I need, time out. Let me get another mic. All right. Hey. <laughs> hey, this is, hey, this is real life, you know. Um, 
And I even said to the team we were praying before the service, I said, when you preach about the demonic, expect opposition. Sometimes it comes in the form of distractions through microphones that seem not to work like they work every other Sunday of the year. Uh, so <laughs> uh, welcome to Redemption Hill. Welcome to the kingdom of God. It is a lot of fun. Uh, so, so the call, the call today, eyes wide open. This call is to be alert, to see clearly, to, to, to know what is happening uh, in front of you, to be aware of the work of God so that you can, you can see it. But then, I love this, when you see it, when you have your eyes wide open, you will be wide-eyed at the work of Christ. In other words, you will be amazed. You will be astonished. We're going to see the authority of Christ on full display in a couple of stories here in Mark chapter 1. And what they're going to, to, to call us to is to also expect to be astonished by the authority of Jesus. I'm calling us today to keep our eyes wide open so that we can be wide-eyed at the work of Jesus Christ. So let me read verses 21 through 35 of Mark chapter 1 as we see the authority of Christ, as we learn to, to look for and to live in astonishment at his authority. This is what Mark writes. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit them to speak because they knew him. Let's pray one more time. Father, we pray in Jesus' name against every distraction, against every scheme of the evil one who would 
not want us to pay full attention right now, who would not want us to have our eyes wide open to who you are. Jesus, thank you that you are greater. Thank you that your voice is clearer and louder. And we pray that we would hear your voice with humility today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we expect to be astonished by the authority of Jesus, I want to give you three encouragements that we see from the text about how we can live with this expectation to be astonished. The first encouragement I have for you today is this. Expect to be astonished by the authoritative words of Christ. Expect to be astonished by the authoritative words of Christ. Don't miss the first two words here in verse 21 where it says, and they. And they went to Capernaum. Throughout Mark's gospel, there will rarely be a time where we find Jesus alone. Jesus always had people with him. He always had his closest followers with him. That's why we're focused on discipleship this year. That's why our vision is about walking closely with God, journeying with Jesus. Jesus always had his disciples with him. And this time they traveled to Capernaum, the home of Jesus, Andrew, and Peter. Now, Capernaum was a major city in that time. It boasted 10,000 people. Can you believe it? I mean, that's smaller than most of our neighborhoods, right? But sizable in the first century. It was uh, on a trade route on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they were in Capernaum, uh, they went, as was Jesus' practice, as Luke 4 tells us weekly, to worship in the synagogue. On a Saturday, we worship now on a Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, but, but they worship on the day of rest and worship that God had commanded the Sabbath. And their services were not that much different than ours. They prayed together and they heard from the scriptures together and there was a sermon and words of blessing that were spoken. And on this one particular day of worship, Jesus was the guest preacher. And what we find, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine, but probably as he's speaking and delivering the message, there was a man who stood up and started shouting at him. Now listen, I've been at this almost 10 years in Boston, and I've had a few people actually walk out in the middle of sermons. And by the way, that's usually a compliment. That usually means you're like saying what God says, and sometimes we don't like what God says. Maybe once or twice it was just me being, you know, not the, the greatest pastor, but, but that's, not, that's not what's going on. Like, this man stands up and he starts shouting. Mark says that the man had an unclean spirit. That is synonymous with a demon. It could be translated that he had a defiled spirit. The word defiled takes us back to Old Testament language of temple worship where uh, the, the purity of worship was paramount. The people went through uh, so much just ritualistic practice to make sure that every part of their worship was pure and honorable before God. This man was defiled by the presence of a demon. And Jesus as he is encountering this demon who says, what have you come to do with us? In other words, it's actually a Hebrew idiom that is saying, uh, 
mind your own business, Jesus. Like he knew, the demon knew it was trouble when Jesus came into the room. And so he's, he's trying to, to distance himself from Jesus. He doesn't want Jesus to, to, to punish him, to destroy the work that he was trying to do in this man's life. And yet Jesus cries out. He says, be silent and come out of him. And the demon is put on the run. We see the authority of Christ in this story. Oftentimes when we think about authority, we might think about a commanding presentation or captivating oratory. I mean, who caught the the poem this week by Amanda Gorman at the inauguration? I mean, that is like captivating, compelling, oration. And sometimes we say, oh, that's authority. Sometimes people even think it's like, well, just speaking louder. If you just speak really loud, then you are authoritative. And most of the time, it's the speakers who think that, but not the people in the seats listening. (laughs) That's not authority. That's not what Mark is talking about when he says Jesus had authority. Jesus taught in an authoritative manner, and we get a few clues of what this means from the text. Number one, Mark says that, that he taught with authority and not as their scribes. So he sets up this contrast between the teaching of Jesus on the one hand and the teaching of the scribes on the other hand. Scribes were experts in the law. They were professional Bible scholars. Okay? They, they knew the law inside and out, okay? and they could teach it. And, but what they would do is when they taught in the synagogue, they would just communicate the, the, the teachings of other rabbis. They would comment on their commentary. If we could see their sermon notes, it would be loaded with dozens of footnotes. They were passing on the traditions of those who had gone before them. Their authority was a derived authority. In other words, it was borrowed. It was copycat. It was not authentic, which is what authority, the authority of Christ is talking about words that were authentic. They came with sincerity. They came with power because of their sincerity. The word authority actually uh, literally means out of the original stuff. Think about the root words author and authentic. This is, this is the kind of teaching that Jesus was giving them. I love what Christopher Ash says. He says, when Jesus started, he had a sort of quiet authority that was riveting. He didn't talk about silly little things, but the really important questions. He didn't seem to need to quote boring old rabbis to support him. He talked about heaven as though he had been there. He talked about God as though God were his friend. There's authority. This is why it's so important to walk with Jesus daily, to follow him. Listen, when you speak, you can speak with authority because you will have experienced the goodness and the grace of God in your life day by day by day. You also can speak with authority. You can also live your life as, and get people to think, like, wow, it seems like he's speaking about heaven as though he has been there. She speaks about God as if God were one of her greatest friends. This is the authority 
of Christ on display. And there's a third clue here. This, this account immediately follows the summary of Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom. He said the kingdom is at hand. And so we see the, even the, 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 the verbal cues, kingdom authority, proclamation, teaching. Jesus was the king, speaking words from heaven, changing lives. He taught with conviction and passion. There was no doubt he believed and experienced every word he spoke, and that is what they found to be captivating. That's what made them astonished. So I just want to encourage you, as we learn what it looks like, to have a seat, to sit at the feet of Jesus. We are coming every time to the greatest teacher with the greatest authority. And when we come to him, we should expect to be astonished. When you meet with God, it's not a formality. It's not just that thing you do to like, oh, I'm spiritual today. Let me, like, no, we are, we are coming to the very words of God. We should expect to be astonished. Moments of wide-eyed wonder. Moments where you can't help but just pause and be in awe of who God is and what he's up to and what he wants to do in your life and what he is doing in your life. Over and over and over again in my Bible, in the margins, you will just simply find exclamation points. These are wow moments. You read my journal, and you will see the word wow again and again and again and again and again. Because this truth is amazing. It's astonishing. This is why we're pleading with you, and I love, I mean, there's so much buy-in, and we're hearing just the stories already of how people are investing at least 1% of their day in focused face-to-face time with God through, through a devotional life that, that's saying, hey, I'm going to carve out this time so that I can hear from God and talk to God in this friendship with him. This is, this is another reason. We talk about, like, like you say, 10, or like, okay, 15 minutes, whatever, 15, 20, 10, 25. Why? God really, really loves you. Do you remember this first and greatest reason? God loves you. God wants to spend time with you. But it's not only that. You will receive strength from, for life. We don't live by bread alone. We, this is our bread. This is our food. This is our spiritual strength. Not only that, impact everywhere. I don't know if you want to like, make a difference in people's lives. I don't know if you want to make like, something positive uh, you know, to come out of your life, but impact everywhere as you spend time. Leaving a legacy for generations. We talked about it last week. Another reason was for Jesus to multiply himself. Like, I'm, I'm opening up my Bible. I'm spending time with God because I want more of Jesus into my life because I know apart from him how jacked up my life is. And now here's another reason. So that you can be astonished. So that you can be amazed. So that you can be wide-eyed at the wonderful work of God. Blessed is the man. Oh, yes, we're memorizing this as a church. Who walks, can you say it with me? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way, thank you, of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Come on, kids, where are you at? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates. There's a delight there. There's an enjoyment. There's a like, man, I am enjoying this so much, I would rather stay here than move there. Can't get enough. Fifth, what, 15? Is, is, there, is there a clock right now? That, that, kind of, that kind of enjoyment. But it's not a, just about his words. It's also his works. Not only expect to be astonished at his authoritative words, but then number two, expect to be astonished by the power of Christ over spiritual forces. As, as I shared, the, the, the man stands up and, and there's this confrontation. And, and you say, well, well, Tanner, what's going on here? Like, okay, I get the story. I heard you talk about it a little bit. Uh, but but what, is this, what does this mean for us? How should we respond to demons, to the demonic? And I mean, we live, we live in the age of the enlightenment, right? We, we uh, live in the age of the material and focus on the natural world and the sciences. And so, you know, anything of the supernatural kind of makes us a little nervous. It's like, do we even really believe that? Like, is there real, are demons real today? Do they exist today? And we're just going to side with the Bible and say, yes, absolutely. This story is teaching us that Jesus came to bring the kingdom of light that he might end the reign of the kingdom of darkness. I, I shared this a couple weeks ago. We can't miss the, the importance of what the introduction is teaching us in Mark. Immediately after Jesus is baptized, the Father says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness for a confrontation with Satan, which is an indicator that there is going to be an all-out war on his purpose and mission for the rest of his life. And if that's how Satan treats Jesus, guess what? That's how he's going to treat us who follow Jesus. But what I love is this. The demons knew who he was. They call him the Holy One of God. It's, it's one of Mark's ways of saying, hey, if even the demons know that Jesus is the Christ, you should too. But this also teaches us that we can have perfect theology. We can know a lot about Jesus, but not really be living our lives for Jesus. It's not enough to have knowledge about him if it doesn't hit our heart, if it doesn't change who we are. And so as we think about the presence of demons, listen, we need to understand this. Demons can, can oppress believers in Christ. They can, they can mess with us. They can discourage us. They can, they can bring a weight into our lives through various forms and trials, but demons cannot possess a believer. 
We have the Holy Spirit of God in us. The Spirit possesses us. The Spirit fills us. But what they seek to do is they seek to render believers ineffective in our walk with Christ, and they seek to keep the unbelieving in their unbelief. That's what they're after. You don't believe in Jesus, we're going to try to keep you there. You do believe in Jesus, we're going to try to disrupt your life so that you don't live it all out for God. An unseen battle rages every day. And, and, and listen, we, we don't blame our sin on the presence of, of, of the demonic or, or spiritual forces of evil, okay? Like, they only, they only have influence in our lives because we are sinners and we make sinful choices and decisions. So we can't blame our sin on the demonic, nor can we attribute every bad thing that happens in life, like, oh, that was a demon, you know, the devil showed up, and it's like, but at the same time, we can't ignore their existence. And that's what a lot of Christians do. Like, just practically, it's like they're not even there. And so I just want to encourage you, if, if, if you're going to err on one side, put your armor on. Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the powers, principalities, authorities, the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up your armor. Put it on. And as you do, know this, Jesus is always greater. Jesus, this is what John, the same, I love this, the same John that was in the room he was in the synagogue when Jesus is casting out the demons. He was in Peter's house when Jesus was healing people, as we'll see, and casting out demons. He's the one that said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is a promise. That is a truth that we can hold on to. That same John who was in the room said in 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's one of the primary reasons Jesus showed up. So Jesus, thank you for giving us your authority to tread over the powers of evil wherever you send us. But the, the more important question in this account is not how do we respond to demons, but how do we respond to Jesus? The people, once again, are amazed. Verse 27 says, and they were all amazed, so much so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? They were really saying, who is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands the unclean spirits, and whatever he says, that's what they're going to do. It's, it's, it's super interesting to see that Mark's fo focus here, like we get so focused on the, the demons, right? We like the exorcism that, that amazes us, but Mark actually puts the emphasis on the teaching of Jesus a new teaching with authority. And he, he pulls them together. He shows us how they go together. Uh, Mark Strauss says this. Mark's point, the writer, Mark 
Jesus' point is that the exorcisms revealed Jesus' authority to accomplish his central mission and message. The proclamation and inauguration of the kingdom of God. Satan's realm is being beaten back at the advance of God's kingdom. Jesus is the king. He showed up to dismantle the work of the evil one to accomplish our redemption. So we should expect to be astonished at the power of Christ over spiritual forces. And then number three, expect to be astonished by the power of Christ over physical suffering. I, I, I love what's going on here. Verse 29, it says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. What, what Mark is doing, like, you ever like, wonder, like, hey, what was Jesus' life like? Like, what was, a, what was a day in the life of Jesus like? Here you go. Here's, here's a Saturday in Jesus' life. He, he goes out, like, he's providing snapshots. Synagogue, worshiping, Jesus was a lover of God. He worshiped God. Snap. Demon stands up, speaking through a man. Snap. Demon loses, Jesus wins. Snap, snap. Out of the synagogue, into Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Jesus touches her and heals her. With his disciples in the room, always making disciples. When they arrive, they discovered that Peter's mother-in-law was bedridden with a fever. And don't miss the end of verse 30. You might want to underline this. It says, and immediately they told him about her. When trouble comes, and it will come, when you don't know what to do, where to go, what decision to make, where will you turn? What will be your reflexive response? Worry? Discouragement? Maybe panic? Maybe despair, depending on the gravity of the situation? Maybe you turn to friends or family. Maybe the wisdom of a mentor. Hopefully, all great places to turn. But here in the story, we learn the lesson that our greatest and first response should be to turn to God, to go to Him first, to make Him the priority because He is the only one who truly has the power to heal and restore. This time, Jesus doesn't speak to the sickness like he spoke to the demon, but he comes near to the bedside. You got to just love it. You got to love it. You got to lean in right now at what Jesus is doing here today. He goes to the bed and he takes this woman by the hand and he raises her up. And what Mark is showing us, I hope this is a wow moment for you. I hope this makes you wide-eyed at the work of God. 
We have a God in Jesus Christ who doesn't bark commands at a distance, who isn't afraid to get involved with our lives, but he comes near to us and he touches us. Oh, I hope you've been touched by God. I hope you know what it means to have received his touch. Listen, his touch is caring and compassionate. It shows his love, his friendship. This is the kind of God we follow. There is no other God like him. If there was, I would follow that God, but there is not. Peter's mother-in-law then is immediately and completely healed. This is why the detail in the text says that she got up and served them. It's a way of saying, like, like it was, like, legit. They're not just saying, like, hey, she felt better, but she was, like, in bed for the next week. Like, she got up and she served because her healing was immediate and complete. And we're going to have plenty of opportunity to talk about healing and God's work of healing and even ask and answer some questions about, hey, does God still heal today? Does he still work? I just want to point out a couple of errors that we need to be attuned to. Uh, Number one, the first error is, hey, God never does that. Like, we shouldn't expect that God works through real people by his real Holy Spirit to heal people in real time. He has given us his authority, and we should move out and pray And it's COVID season, so if you have to extend a hand instead of touch them, or if... You know, they're whatever, you hear me. And we pray and we ask God to heal because God still heals people. But the second error is, well, if God still heals, then he must heal all the time, every time, in every circumstance. But that's not what we see in the New Testament. We even see Paul's prayer in 2 Corinthians 12. He's pleading with God to remove this thorn. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's a a wrong assumption to say, look, if you just have enough faith, if you just have more faith, then, you know, God would do it every time. So we pray, and we pray in faith, trusting in God's sovereignty to heal when he chooses to heal through us as he moves us out. Mark in verses 32 through 34 summarizes the rest of Jesus' day. It's pretty exciting. (laughs) Word must have gotten out about the demon-possessed man, and word must have gotten out about Peter's mother-in-law, because verse 32 says, they brought to him all who were sick, all who were oppressed by demons. Verse 33 says, the whole city was gathered together at the door. It's a hyperbolic, hyperbolic way, an exaggerated way of saying that masses of people were huddling around Jesus so that they could experience his authority and his power to heal and to cast out demons. And just two more interesting facts from the text. Verse 33 says that the whole city was gathered at the door. Verse 34 says, And he healed many who were sick, underline this, with various diseases. I like what Strauss says. He says, Jesus was not an itinerant itinerant Hellenistic magician 
with a few tricks up his sleeve, but the messianic son of God inaugurating the kingdom of God, the restoration and renewal of a fallen creation. There was, there was, there was nothing that Jesus couldn't do. In the physical and in the spiritual, supernatural. And we see that when it, it says, and this is just almost hilarious, it says, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. I mean, I just love this. Can you imagine? Like, the demons are in the room, and they're, like, trying to raise their hand. Like, hey, can I, can I like, say more about you? And Jesus is like, I can't see your hand. No, be quiet. <laughs> Authority. And you say, well, why is that, Tanner? Like, what, wouldn't he want people to know that he's the Holy One of God? Wouldn't he want people to know that he's the Christ, the Messiah? This even takes us back to verse 25. Why did he tell the demon in the synagogue, be silent? He just said, you're the Holy One of God. Like, that's good news, right? This is what scholars call the messianic secret. And the messianic secret, this is a short explanation of it, okay? It wasn't a matter of spreading the news. It was a matter of the timing of that spreading of that news. Jesus is saying, now is not the time. Because people will mistake me for an earthly king that is going to set up an earthly kingdom. And now is not the time for that. That's why he not only tells the demons, but he will tell people that he heals throughout the gospel. Hey, shh, be quiet. Don't tell everyone about this. The people were amazed and astounded and astonished. Verse 28 says, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So my questions for us today is this. What, what about us? What about you? Are you amazed and astonished by the words and work of Jesus? As you follow him day by day, are your eyes wide open to see his wonder-working power before our very eyes? You see, I, the, the kingdom of God is advancing. And again, we can get so fixated on demons flee and mother-in-laws get up out of the bed and people are healed of various diseases. That sounds really good these days. But the greater work in all of this is not to focus on the demonic or physical ailments. It's focused on people. Jesus came to change people. Jesus came to restore lives. Jesus came to bring the kingdom to sons and daughters. That is what is so astonishing. That is what should amaze us day by day by day. So listen, as we follow Jesus this week and follow Jesus this year, expect astonishment. I dare you, listen, I dare you to pray this two-word prayer. Astonish me. Astonish me. 
God, astonish me today as I meet with you. Astonish me today as I move out and I see you work. Listen, God is still in the business of working wonders. And you may not have seen it in a while, but take it from someone who has. He's working wonders. This past Friday, another person gave their life to Jesus Christ. Hearing the call to follow me. That's amazing. That's astonishing. That should get us fired up. Let me tell you about another story I heard this week. A sister who had been praying for a brother who was not walking in a close relationship with Jesus, and now God is doing all kinds of spiritual transformation and renewal in his life. That is astonishing. Let me tell you about a married couple who said, you know what, we're going to prioritize reading the Bible together. So before we go to bed, we're going to read Luke 1, Luke 2, Luke 3, Luke 10, Luke 11. And their intimacy and love for one another is going through the roof. Listen, that is astonishing. God is an amazing God. He wants to astonish you. He wants to surprise you. He wants to amaze you by who he is. So let's open our eyes. Let's pray that dangerous prayer. God, astonish me this week. God, astonish me today. Not so that I can have an experience, but so that I can encounter the one true living God who is bigger than COVID, bigger than anxiety, bigger than every discouragement and depression, bigger than every spiritual opposition that we'll face in this life. Jesus, we salute you as the king of all kings. We thank you for your authority in our lives. We pray that you would astonish us again. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, we're going to sing a song of response. It's a great song. It's a new song. It's a prayer that Christ would be magnified in our lives. We would see who he is. And listen, I just want to put out there, listen, you may be watching today, you may be in the room today, and you may have never answered the call to follow the astonishing Christ. He loves you. His arms are open to you if you would just say yes to him today. If you need to make the decision to follow Jesus, don't wait till we even start singing this song. Just say, Jesus, I'm done living for me. I'm all about living for you. I turn from my old life, repent. I trust in your life, lived and died in my place so that I could have life in you. If that's you, just cry out to God today as we turn to God and sing.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pedro, Sierra, Taylor. Uh, just a quick lesson about songs and singing. Um, that's a great song. When we, when we sing songs like that, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand firm and worship you. If it puts me in the fire, if there's a cost to it, if all hell comes against me because I won't bow to idols and I'm put in the fire, I will rejoice because Jesus is there too. Listen, you can't sing that song without a little attitude. You know what I'm saying? You can't sing that song without, hey, bring it on, devil, because Jesus is greater. You can't put me into anything that my God won't walk with me and deliver me from. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for scripture, God. Thank you for songs that set our hearts, that recalibrate us into the life that you're calling us to. And so, God, I just want to pray over every person, God, in this room, in every room where they're watching from home or wherever, Lord, that you would meet us. Not just now, God, but every day this week, Lord, that we would, that we would long to prioritize you, Lord, that we would be astonished, that we would pray that prayer, astonish me. This is like, I know that sometimes he's going to hesitate, like, oh, well, I'm not going to pray that prayer because, you know, someone told me to pray it, so it's not authentic, and I'm not going to, like, just to pray the prayer, astonish me. And to watch you do it. To ignite our hearts with the reality of you. That our lives are not the same. And our homes are not the same. And our neighborhoods are not the same. And this city is not the same. God, you can do it. In COVID season, God, you can do it. So God, would you bless this church, Lord. Bless the churches across Boston, Lord. We thank you for the unity of churches across Boston, Lord. We thank you for Genesis Church in Woburn, who pastor is in the room today. Thank you for Michael Davis and his family. We pray for Genesis Church, God, that they would be astounded and astonished by you today. Netcast Church celebrating 10 years in greater Boston in Beverly and Danvers, God. Thank you for that church. Astonish them today. We long to see it, God. Our lives are short. We want to see you move, God. Thank you for how you do what you do. We're ready to receive. <laughs> We're ready to go. Help us, strengthen us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, our, our band's going to keep singing, I think. Uh, our ushers will dismiss you in an orderly way. Uh, keep worshiping Jesus this week.